Morning, Coastal Church. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, man, that's a great song. Uh, we pulled that out of mothballs, I think. I love that song. It's a great reminder. And uh, thank you, worship team. And uh, do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, we're going to dive in here this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start in verse 32. We're actually going to start in 32, work backwards, and then come back to 32 again. Okay, so uh, turn with me there. Inside of your bulletin uh, is a handout. You can follow along with me. While you're doing that, I want to bring your attention to something really cool. And so I just want to celebrate with you this morning briefly. Uh, on the back of your bulletin, some information that I want you to see. Um, one of the things that we try to do at Coastal, I've kind of been telling you this the last couple years especially, is uh, we try to give away uh, a tenth of every uh, ten, ten cents of every dollar comes in, we try to give away to missions, okay? We want that as a church to kind of be our tithe, to support missions and ministries that don't uh, directly affect us. And we teach you as, as members and as followers of Jesus that we believe the beginning of being generous individually is to tithe and to give a tenth. And, and um, you know, we want to do that as a church. So the last year, we always budget for what, you know, budget's kind of phony. You don't really know what the Lord's going to bring in. So you budget for what we thought we were going to give away. And and because of your generosity uh, in 2012, I mean, just uh, we had a lot more come in than we anticipated. So we want to make sure that we tithe on that. And so we were actually able to bless our missions organizations with $47,000 more than we anticipated uh, last year. So I just want you to see on the back, these are the organizations we've given to. And Alan's sitting here, Alan Clark, he, he spearheads that missions team. Thank you, Alan, for all your hard work last year. And uh, it was really cool last night, Alan. I heard you met with the Whites. I saw that. I just went off completely. All right, am I back on? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. You, you turned me off back here. Thank you. Okay, I was here, and I don't know if anybody else was. Uh, but last night, I got to meet with the whites. You know, it's a young couple that God brought our way. They're in the military. Uh, God's moving them on now to, uh, to another area of the country. But one of the, one of the ministries we got to support was Spark the Flame. They have a heartbeat for Quebec. Okay, and a lot of people don't know this. Quebec is one of the most unreached areas of the gospel in, a, in, a, in the northern hemisphere, actually. And uh, so it was really cool praying with them last night. We got to send them up there. And one of the things they told me, they said, you know, we may be the only Christian some people know up in Quebec. Pretty fascinating, right? So, uh, so anyway, you're a part in that. Oh, we've had several, several letters from these mission organizations, a couple phone calls, one phone call with a lady with tears in her eyes thanking you all for your generous gift this month, okay? So thank you, guys. Way to go, okay? And, uh, and uh, listen, I know the economy's tough. I know this whole government thing, sequestration, affects a lot of people in our community. So I've been praying for you and for us as a community, you know, that God will continue to bless us. Uh, so that we can in turn be a blessing. Does that make sense? And, and I believe the more open-handed we are with the gifts God gives us, uh, the more generous and blessing he gives to his people. Does that make sense? Okay, so way to go. Thank you. I'll tell you what, I know you want to clap a little bit. I do too. So thank you for your donation. Thank you, Lord. And uh, we want to continue to be open-handed with what God gives us. Okay, do me a favor. We're going to dive in. I've been doing a sermon series uh, called Not Just Another. And um, you know, we've been talking about, I've been trying uh, to raise your view uh, of the church of Jesus Christ. And, and the reason is, I hope you understand from my little nursery rhyme I did a couple weeks ago, right? That here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, here's all the people, right? And I told you that's a terrible nursery rhyme because it's wrong, okay? It, it really, and someone actually, someone texted me last night with a, with a little rhyme that actually rhymed, and I can't remember it now, but uh, I, when I do remember it, I'm going to take all the credit anyway that I thought of it. So, uh, 
<coughs> just kidding. So the real thing should be here is the, uh, here is the building, here's the steeple, open the door, there's the church, right? We understand that the church is the people. It's not some institution, it's not some building, okay? You're the church, and because we know that God loves you, we know that God loves his church. And I'm trying to raise your view of the local church because I think a lot of times, and we started this series by call, helping you understand the New Testament calls the church the bride of Christ. And if we're not careful, we, by our words or actions or deeds, can kick around the bride of Christ as if it's not important. And so I've been trying to take you through some New Testament passages to show us how we are to treat one another, to honor the Lord, to worship the Lord, and how we treat each other, okay? And so we've been doing this series. And so today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And, you know, there's a great danger in familiarity, right? There's, there's both a blessing and a danger in familiarity. We become familiar with the people we are closest to. We hang with them. My, my wife and I have, have been married 18 years. I heard that somebody in this room is celebrating 17 years of marriage today. And so, yeah, all right, we all know who that is. So, uh, yeah, so congratulations. And so, you know, but when you're married for any other time, you become familiar with someone. It's easy to begin to take them for granted, right? And, and so there's both the blessing to being familiar and there's a curse to being familiar. So, so the blessing is you rest in this person. There's a security when you're married for a long period of time. You know this person inside and out. In fact, my wife and I sometimes joke about, you know, how awful it would be to go back to dating again. You know, those of you who are dating, like, I feel for you. Like, I wouldn't, I would not want to go out with someone and be like, so tell me about your parents, you know, tell me about your aunts and all. Like, we know all that, you know, I, I don't want to go through that again. And so there's this great rest in familiarity, but there's also, uh, there's the danger of complacency. Uh, in a book written by Barbara and Dennis Rainey, they, they tell the story of how a marriage progresses uh, in different stages just when uh, your spouse has a cold, okay? So when you're first married and your spouse gets a cold, let's say the husband gets a cold, the wife will look at her husband and she says, oh darling, I am so worried about that sniffle that you have. So I've called the paramedics to, to rush you to Riverside Hospital for a checkup and a week of rest in the intensive care unit. And honey, I know that you hate hospital food, so I am going to cook gourmet meals and bring them to you all week. That's year one of marriage. Year two of marriage. Wife says to the husband, sweet, sweetheart, I, I don't like the sound of that cough, so I have arranged for the doctor to come by the house and make a house call. So in the meantime, let me get you tucked into bed. That's year two. Year three of marriage. You look at your spouse, you say, you look like you've got a fever. Why don't you drive yourself over to the Medistop and get some medicine and I'll watch the kids. That's year three. Year four of marriage. Husband gets sick. Look, be sensible. After you fed and bathed the kids and washed the dishes, why don't you go to bed early? That's year four, all right? By year five of marriage, the cold goes like this. For Pete's sake, do you have to cough so loud? I can't even hear the TV. Would you mind going in the other room? Because I can't watch my show. You sound like a dog barking next to me. That's the, that's the danger of being familiar, right? We, 
we begin to not appreciate the person we're with. You know what? The same thing can be true in a church, right? When we live in community, if you're spending time in community, you learn people's strengths, their weaknesses, the things they do well, their faults, and we run the risk in our familiarity of not honoring and not being tenderhearted and not being kind towards the people we really do know the best and love the most. And so, and so this morning, I want to take a peek and I want to raise your view of the church of Christ and I want to caution you to the danger of being familiar and remind you of the beauty of the people around you that you serve the Lord with, okay, in your local community. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, the Apostle Paul here says this, instead, now, I told you we're going to start with 32 and work backwards, okay, because you got to look at the previous two verses to understand what he's saying when he says instead. He says, instead, be kind to each other, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has done what? Has forgiven you. Okay? So he's saying this is how you, as a church body, this is how you treat one another. This is the overflow of a heart. But we, we actually have to go backwards a couple verses to put this whole teaching into context for us to understand what's the instead about. Instead of what? Well, instead of the way you used to be. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, the Apostle Paul says this. Just two verses early. He says, and do not bring sorrow on what? God's Holy Spirit. Now, let me stop here. Some of your versions of the Bible actually say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Interesting, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that the Spirit of God that lives inside of every Christian can be grieved? Much the same experience you have around a grave site is what Paul says. You, you, if you're not careful in how you treat one another, that the Holy Spirit can be grieved inside of you. He says, and do not bring sorrow on God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he says. Now, we're going to come back to remember because I think the remember points back to Ephesians chapter 1, this letter that, that Paul has written to this church. He starts in Ephesians 1. So he's saying, remember what I taught you at the beginning of this letter. And we're going to go to that. He says, remember that he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So going all the way back to the beginning, let's take a moment here this morning and let's remember what Paul has taught us. He says, you have a new identity in Christ. In Christ, you've been given a new identity. You, know, you got this identity crisis, you've been given a new identity. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, I think, is calling attention here to this. Ephesians 1 verse 13, he teaches us this. He says, and now you Gentiles, you have heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, here's your new identity, right? He identified you as his own. How did he identify you as his own? By giving you something. What did he give you, church? What? The Holy Spirit. Now let me pause here for a minute. The Bible is saying that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you get a deposit of the third person of the Trinity into your heart, life, and mind. You're a new person. You're identified as a, as a person of G that, that now knows God because you've been given the Holy Spirit. Whom, Paul says, he promised long ago, verse 14, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. 
I'm going to come back to that last phrase here in a minute, but I want to make a couple points here out of the very beginning because Paul starts this section about how we're treated one another by remembering, okay? And so we're going to remember for a minute what God has done for us. Because that's the beginning. It's the message of the gospel and the good news and the new covenant, the New Testament, which is the giving of the Holy Spirit. The first thing I want you to see is that Paul, Paul reminds us in, in chapter 1 that, that the Holy Spirit is God's down payment into your life. The Holy Spirit is your down payment. And by the way, it's, it's simply a down payment. What do I mean by that? I mean that what God is doing now is not the whole thing. I love that, that line in the song we just sang. It says, when my faith shall be my eyes, right? Right now we, we see dimly. We don't see the whole thing that God is doing. There's a day when Jesus is going to return. He's going to reveal all that he originally intended. And, and the things that we've accepted by faith, how we've walked in faith. Of There's some things going on spiritually that are unseen. They will be seen one day. But in the meantime, we have this down payment, right? Like, like in my home, and people may ask me, do you own your home, right? Now, I don't know about you. Maybe yours is paid off. Mine is not, okay? I'm working it off slowly. But, but I, don't, I put a down payment on the home. And so when someone asks, how much do I own? I really own the back corner. I probably only own the shed right now, right? You know, I'm trying to get the thing paid off. But it's a down payment, you know? And the banks do that so that you got some skin in the game, right? And so you have a down payment, you got some skin in the game, and you want to make sure that, you know, that we're working to pay this thing off. The Holy Spirit is a down payment of all that God is eventually going to do. And here's what I always say. There's, there's, there's times, and, and even I do this, I think, because sometimes when you try to say everything, you don't say anything, and so you got to pick and choose what you're going to teach on. But, but was, there's times where we can promise too much or too little of God's kingdom. We live in what I like to call the now and the not yet of the kingdom, okay? The now and the not yet of the kingdom. So the kingdom has come, right? We know that because Jesus taught us that. And so we live in this time between the first advent. What's the first advent, by the way, church? Anybody know? It's kind of Christmas time, right? The first coming of, of, of the guy of Christ. And we live between that time and the second advent when Jesus is going to return. He's going to establish his kingdom. Does that make sense? So we live in between these two advents. Okay, and we look forward to the second advent. But we live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom. So has the kingdom come? Yes. Has it fully come? No. And so we live in this in-between time. So you're like, so why are you getting all spun up? Like, what does this mean? Well, it's important that you understand what this means because there's times where maybe you come to me, you call the elders, and you found out you've got cancer, right? And so we gather the elders, we gather some spiritual people around you, and we pray. And some of you in this room, you have this story. We prayed over you, and you were healed of your cancer. I've seen that happen, yes? There's times where we've gathered people around, someone with cancer, we prayed, and guess what? We ended up doing a funeral for them. Which, by the way, uh, I believe is ultimate healing anyway, okay? But we've heard, so, so why, did, why did one get healed and why did the other one not get healed? I mean, what's that about? Well, what that is about is the now. There's times where the kingdom is ushered in now and there is physical healing, but there's also a not yet to this. Like, I don't know. And here's a theme in the scripture that you have to understand. I think there's actually a bigger theme than scripture than even salvation. Did you know that? You know what I think the bigger thing, the, the overarching umbrella of the Bible is? It's glory and worship to God above all things. Now, why is that important in the now and not yet? Because if we pray for healing and a person gets healed, it is up to that person to make sure they give glory, worship, and honor to God. 
Yet some people we pray over and they don't get healed. What's that about? During that difficult journey, it's up to them to give praise, glory, worship, and honor to God. God can get glory in all things, in the now and not yet of the kingdom. Does that make sense? Why? We have a deposit of the Holy Spirit. It's not the whole thing yet. Let me give you another one, okay? Another example. How about joy and purpose and fulfillment, those kind of things, right? See, there's times in my life where, man, I'm, I feel like I'm walking on cloud. I'm in this mountaintop experience, man. I'm like, man, God, I'm so blessed, and my heart is full to overflowing. I feel like I have so much purpose. I'm making a difference. Thank you for that. And just everywhere I go, I see the blessings and the hands of the Lord. I'm like on this mountaintop experience. How many of y'all have ever had that kind of experience, right? And how many, maybe you're there right now. Okay, but there's other seasons in my life where I'm like, I'm down in the valley, man. I feel like it's a desert. I feel like God's a million miles away. And I, it's like I pray and I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling and not going anywhere. It feels like a desert experience. And, and, and man, I get there and I'm clinging to God for all I'm worth. You ever been there? Why is it? It's the now and the not yet of the kingdom. And in those desert times, you know what I got to do? I got to be even more intentional about being in the word of God and reminding myself of the promises of God and the character of God. And I cling to him and hope that it's got to be true because where else am I going to go anyway? Right? Those are my experiences. Why? It's the now and the not yet of the kingdom. And in that time, both now and not yet, with the deposit of the Holy Spirit, right, in all things, we can bring glory, worship, and honor to God. By the way, there's part of my experience has been that sometimes I feel like God gets more glory, more worship, and more honor when I'm in the desert place, when, when the cancer isn't healed. There's some of you in this room, man, I know that your body is just crippled up and, you know, the, 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 the illness hasn't gone away as we had hoped and prayed. And in that, I see Jesus pouring out of you as you trust him, right? There's time. So what are you doing? You're bringing glory and worship to God as, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 and in Ephesians 4.30. In all things, we can bring glory to God in the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Second thing Paul says about the Holy Spirit, not only is it a deposit, it seals us. It's like, a, it's a guarantee. It's a seal, right? If you ever re got a letter with a presidential seal, you know that that letter comes with all the authority and the power of the office of the presidency of the United States of America. Uh, so the, probably a better uh, illustration in our culture would be an embassy, right? If we play, if the United States plays an embassy in another soil, in another land, that embassy is protected with all the military might of the United States of America. That, you, that soil where that embassy resides, even in enemy territory, that is United States soil. Does that make sense? And it's backed with the full forces of the United States government if needs be. And so the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is, is your seal. And it is backed by the, the, the heaven's armies if needs be. Does that make sense? And that seal is declaring something over you. That seal has given God authority over you. And that's why we're, we're getting ready to come up on Easter Sunday. I like to call it Resurrection Sunday. 1 Corinthians 15, Apostle Paul makes it very clear. If there's no resurrection from the dead, this whole church thing is useless. It is the linchpin of all that we believe. And the Bible teaches that it's the same spirit, the same deposit, the same seal that's in your heart life, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside of you. Isn't that incredible? 
and I will rise when he calls my name. Why? Because I have been sealed by the power of God in my life. And one day when you're kicking dirt over this body, Sean is not dead. Much to my wife's chagrin, okay? I'm still here. I'm not here, but I'm with the Lord, okay? And when, when he calls my name at his second coming, my soul will be matched up with a glorified body. And the spirit of God, that deposit, that seal will come with all the forces of heaven's hosts. And I will rise again. That is the good news of this seal. In fact, uh, one time I preached on this and I called it sign sealed delivered, right? I'm not going to sing it for you. But that... <laughs> Man, that's, that's the power of the Spirit, this down payment, this, you, that's the claim, okay? It's your identification. And here's the really cool thing. It doesn't depend on my feelings. It doesn't depend on how I feel today. No, the Spirit is inside of me, and it's this Spirit that gives life. It is the Spirit that gives me the ability to serve Him. It is the Spirit that gives me the ability to grow in Christ. It is the Spirit that gives gifts. It is the Spirit of God that helps me bear fruit. And so now we have a new identity, and this new identity, church, is holiness. By the way, the the Spirit here is given an adjective. It's not just God's Spirit. It's God's what? Holy Spirit, right? And what's, what's the word holy mean? You're set apart. You're not like everyone else, in the, but because of the grace of God and the deposit of the Spirit, you're not like the rest of the world. You are now set apart to bring glory to God. You're now set apart to be different from the rest of the world. You're identified by God and His Spirit and His Word to be different, by the grace and power of God. And so Paul says this in verse 31, ready? All that to get to this, ready? Because of the gospel and because of the, the, the new work, the new heart, the overflow of that heart, and the deposit and seal and identification of God's spirit in your life. Verse 31 says, so God, Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, of all rage, of all anger, of all harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. In other words, Paul says, there is a, because of the deposit spirit, there's a radically new you. You're not allowed to be the same old person. There's, there's something new going on, right? One of the things I say when we do a baptism in a couple of weeks, I always say this when we do a baptism. It's a quote of the Apostle Paul. I say, bury, it's symbolic of the new life in Christ. I say, buried with Christ in baptism. Just as Christ was buried and died, you're now buried with Christ in baptism and you're raised up to walk in a new life. There's a new identity. There's a new you. And so Paul says, now you have the ability to guard your heart from certain things. You have the ability to guard your heart from bitterness. Bitterness. You know, bitterness is an interesting thing. You know who bitterness hurts? It hurts you. you know, so, some of you in this room, you've been holding on to something for decades. A word that someone whispered in your ear some 20, 30, 40 years ago. Your upbringing, you're, you're bitter about that. Man, you just mull it over and over. And here's, what, here's how bitterness works. You, you, you get up in the morning and you think about it, and suddenly your mind is captivated, not by a promise of God, 
not by a character of God, not by the word of God. You're, you're captivated in your mind and in your heart by something that happened to you, was done to you, an offense, whatever. And man, you just start thinking about that. By the way, the, it's a, you, we've, we've, we've glorified this word, but it's the word meditate, okay? When I say meditate, it's not some out-of-body out experience. It's just thinking about the word of God and thinking about that and mauling on a promise of God. But some of you, man, you're mauling about an offense that happened. Then you get to work and your mind gets captivated a little bit by work and other things, but bam, then a free moment comes and you start thinking about it again. And it just is like under the scene, under the undercurrent in your heart and life, man. And you just hold on and you get home and, man, you've been thinking about it. You've been thinking about it. And then what happens is it spills out. Not on the person you're bitter or angry about. It spills out on your children or on your spouse, right? People that have nothing to do with just this undertone in your heart and life. Bitterness is a resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. I want you to hear that again. Bitterness is a resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. And bitterness hurts you. In fact, some doctors have linked bitterness to, to glandular problems, high blood pressure, cardiac disorders, ulcers, and even insanity. One psychiatrist wrote this. He said, I don't know if it's true, but he said, this is what he said. He said, 90% of all people in a sane asylums could be released immediately if they would learn how to forgive and how to be forgiven. Why? Because bitterness, man, it just eats at us, right? Paul goes to say, get rid of bitterness, get rid of anger, get rid of rage, you know, if that's going on in your heart and life, if when, you know, that should not define us as Christians. If you, if you walk out of these doors today and you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and you've been given the deposit, you, you have a new identity deposit, you've been signed, sealed, delivered by the Holy Spirit, okay? There's a new you going on inside. Bitterness, anger, and rage should not define us as Christians. Shouldn't define us. Not saying it never happens, okay? Why? Because we live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom, but it should not define who we are. Some of you, I want to talk to you dads and you husbands for a minute, man. This can, this can go on in your home for a long, long time. And that, that thing simmers in there, and at just the wrong moment, it, oh, it vomits itself on the wrong people, Okay? And so we have to be careful that these things don't simmer in our hearts, this bitterness. And so this new you, this, this radically new you, okay, it guards the overflow of our hearts. Now, what, what's the overflow of our hearts, biblically speaking? You know what it is? It's words. By the way, it's why, it's why praise, singing in praise is so powerful, Right? Have you ever drug yourself in here for a weekend service? You really didn't feel like coming, right? You get in the car, you're like, I don't know if I want to go to church. Today. You get yourself, you finally get up, you know, the incentive, you drive here, and you, you got all this stuff on your mind. The job's not going good, the family's not going good, school's not going good, whatever, whatever, you know, all this stuff's going through your mind. You get here, and you start to sing praise, right? And as you're singing praise, man, suddenly your, 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 your heart and your life, it rests in the words that you're singing about the truths of God, the character of God, the promises of God, right? And you begin to sing. Suddenly you, you come in heavy and you leave lighter. What's that about? Because words are the overflow of what's going on in our heart, right? And so, and so we're, actually we're going to talk about words next week. The Bible te teaches us how to speak to one another. There's great power in words. It's incredible, actually. 
It's a little bit humbling as a pastor when you get to teach because you're like, man, I hope I don't say anything stupid this week. There's plenty of weeks like, oh my, that was so stupid, you know? And, uh, you know, we have to be cautious with our words, right? And so the Bible says, Paul says, you know, your tongue has incredible power, the overflow of your heart. And so here's what we need. We need a heart change, and here's what it looks like. It's reflected in how we treat one another, okay? So all of that was set up to our verse this morning. Anybody nervous we're going to be here much longer? We won't, okay? So I'm going to get you out of here. All of that leads up to, the, to Paul's final point here, okay? New identity, power of the Holy Spirit. Now you got this power of the Holy Spirit, you don't, you don't live like you used to. And so he says that there's a heart change. Because there's a heart change, Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, instead now, instead of what you used to be, instead, okay, be kind to each other. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Paul says as followers of Jesus in our relationship with one another, there needs to be a kindness towards one another. I mean, let me ask you something. Do you, do you think in, a, in the community, not just our community, but in all communities, do you think that the word kindness describes most churches, right? I think a lot of people outside the community of church will go, man, church is a harsh place. They're condemning. There needs to be a kindness that overflows in our hearts. Paul says you need to be tender-hearted. You need to be compassionate towards one another. There's a, there's a heart because we got a new heart and the new thing going on because of the power of the Spirit that there's a kindness and a tender-heartedness towards one another. I remember years ago, my son, my oldest son, is, is very tender-hearted towards animals and God's creation, Right? He's always been that way. And I remember one time we had, we had one of these big old ants that was going through our house, like this big, right? It was the kind of ant that you were afraid was going to pick up your furniture and carry it away. I mean, you know, like, and so I get on, I go, I'm going to go get a shoe, right? And so I go get a shoe, right? In the meantime, my son goes, no, daddy. And he goes and he, he gets a piece of paper and, and he's so kind-hearted and tender-hearted, he's not even shooing the ant onto the paper. He's trying to guide it so it would just walk up there naturally. And every time his little feeler things would see that paper and go another way, you know, and he was patient and tender-hearted and kind. And he finally, he finally got that thing on that piece of paper, man, and he took it outside and he just released that ant into the wild. Isn't that sweet? I was like, good thing you're here, boy. That thing would have been squish if it was me, you know. <laughs> Just kindness, right? Tenderhearted. That's a good thing. You know, some of us, here's the crazy thing about this culture, right? In our culture, some of us are more kind and tenderhearted towards our pets than we are one another. It's true. I mean, I see people go over the top of the pets. Now, listen, I want to tell you something. The Bible teaches us as, human, as the human race, we have a responsibility to steward the earth. Absolutely. We are not to be cruel or mean or whatever to animals. But, man, how much more should we be kind and tenderhearted towards the human race? Children of God. People of God. And I would say that many church settings, man, it does not describe the people of God. But Paul says, instead, man, be kind and be tenderhearted. And finally, we grant forgiveness to one another. We grant forgiveness to one another. By the way, if we're going to grant forgiveness to one another, what is assumed there? Anybody? What's assumed? 
it's assumed that at some point you're going to be offended, right? At some point, something's going to happen that hurts you. And what we do in, in church life in America is when we get hurt, rather than go work it out, we go find a new church home where we won't be hurt anymore, right? It's assumed. So church, here's my challenge to you. The next time you get hurt by something, I want you to look at it as an opportunity to grant forgiveness. Isn't that a new worldview? It's an opportunity to work on our hearts, Because Paul says, you give forgiveness as God in Christ has forgiven you. See, if we're going to be people that grant forgiveness, we understand that we have been forgiven much. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a story. Now, if you're you're familiar with Matthew 18, it's a really interesting uh, context, the way it's laid out, this story that Jesus tells, right? So it starts out with <clears throat> how uh, brothers and sisters in Christ can reconcile a relationship. Matthew 18 starts with one-on-one. Hey, we hang out. We see if we can't reconcile this thing. If that doesn't happen, you bring two people in. If that doesn't happen, bring in three, a couple people that are spiritually mature, you know, try to make this relationship right. Work hard at it, right? So in the middle of that story, and when Jesus gets done, Peter stands up, and Peter, he's trying to be super spiritual, right? And so in Bible times, in Jesus' time, most of the teachers, the pastors, the rabbis that day, they taught that if you really want to be generous with forgiveness, you could forgive somebody up to three times. Three times you let them off the hook, and then they, you, know, you were free to be bitter and angry. Okay? So Peter, he wants to be super spiritual. right? And so he stands up to Jesus and says, Jesus, listen, I've decided to forgive people seven times. Up to seven times, I'm going to let them go. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you missed the point. It's not seven times. It's Some of you don't know this. It's seven times what? 70. It's not a math equation. Some of you are like a 490. Okay, I can get to 490. No, it's not a math equation. You know, it's, it's like you, you don't understand. You've been forgiven much, Peter. And then he goes on to tell the story, right? Jesus tells the story. He says, and Jesus is a master storyteller. And so he tells this story and he says, listen, there was a king over, all, over everything. And one of his servants owed him millions of dollars, a debt he could never repay. And so the king brings the servant in and he says, listen, I want you to beat him. I want you to sell his wife, sell his children. And I want you to torture him until every cent is repaid. A debt he could never repay. It's a life sentence of torture. And the servant falls down before the king. He says, oh, king, you know, please give me more time. Please forgive me, and I'll be sure to repay you everything, right? Of course, the king knows he's never going to repay everything, and so he forgives him his debt. This servant immediately goes out and finds another servant of the king and says, listen, you owe me a thousand bucks. And the servant says, oh, please be patient with me. I'm going to give you the thousand bucks. And in that process... He takes this other servant and he throws him in the jail to be tortured until he gets $1,000 back. And then the, 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 the king hears about this with the servant that has been forgiven millions. And Jesus finishes the story by saying this. Then the king, I'm sorry, then the angry king sent this first servant to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And he says this, Jesus says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and your sisters from your heart. Church, the Bible's serious about us being tenderhearted, kind, and forgiving of one another. Serious about it. In fact, if you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer, I I never really like praying the Lord's Prayer because it makes me nervous. You want to know what line makes me nervous? Forgive us our trespasses or debts, right? As we forgive what? 
those who trespass against us. You really want to pray that? And I, I'm cautious with that prayer. It makes me be a little introspective and go, God, am I, am I holding on to anything a little too tight? And by the way, forgiveness. You know what forgiveness is? The Bible doesn't say to forgive and forget. You want to know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is turning over that person to God for justice. Does that make sense? Forgiveness is, I, it's not my responsibility to seek out justice. God's going to do that in God's timing and God's ways. I'm now free to love this person. God will take care of justice. And so Paul reminds us, man, that if the gospel message has sunk deeply into our hearts and we understand we, we have been forgiven much, we are now free to forgive much. Instead, Paul says, be kind towards, tenderhearted towards, forgiving towards one another. I, I watched a show this week. I was kind of channel surfing, and uh, it was called The Savage Family Diggers, okay? Anybody ever heard that, seen that show? Okay, it's this family. <clears throat> Dan, you and I were probably watching the same show. So it this, this show, is, it, it's, a tr it's a family that does treasure hunting on land rather than on sea, okay? And so they do some historical research, and they find an area that they thought might have some treasures buried in the ground, and they start out with their, with their uh, metal detectors, right? And they go across this ground, and they didn't find anything. And then they got out this big piece of equipment. It was like had microwavable technology or whatever, and they were running that thing. And eventually, in this particular show, they were on a whale community, old whaling community, and they were at an old sailor's ground where he used to live, and they eventually found, buried about six feet under, uh, some treasure, right? And so they, so after they found it with this microwavable technology, they went and they got a backhoe, and they start scooping up the land, the dirt, right? And they, they dig down, and down they find this treasure, right? And they found like a couple harpoons, and they found this thing that would t used to tell the speed of ships, you know? And it was just really cool, man. They celebrated, and man, I was motivated. The next day, I went and bought a metal detector. I'm in my yard. Like, it's got to be something, man. It's got to so I finally dug up my water line, you know, <laughs> so I'm just, just kidding. All right. But you know, here's what I loved about the show was the, was the, uh, the ex expense to this family, right? And, and the risk that they both financial and personal in trying to find this thing. And, and, and what they found, they ended up selling what they found for about $7,000. Okay. I was like, not bad for a day's work. Okay. So, you know, so that's what they ended up finding. You know, and one of the things I noted, noted in that is, is nothing of value ever comes easily, does it? There's always risk involved. Nothing of value comes easily. Nothing that you really value in your life comes simply or easily, right? It always comes with risk, and it comes with work, and it comes with challenges. It comes with conversations. It comes with forgiveness. It comes with kindness, and it comes with reconciliation. That's what community comes with. But I'm going to tell you this, living life in community is far better than the alternative. I'm going to tell you that. I've been doing it for a long time. In fact, whenever people want to talk negative about the church of Jesus Christ, I'm like, who do you think you're talking to? I'm the pastor, okay? I see the backside of the church all day, every day. And I would take living in community any day of the week over the alternative. Any day of the week. Why? Because the alternative sounds awful lonely to me. 
And I'm going to choose to love God's people. Why? Because God has created us to unearth the treasures of kindness and tenderness and forgiveness. These are the treasures of community. And these are the treasures of God's church. Church, let's be a people that instead live the overflow of the work of God's spirit that we are genuinely tender, kind, and forgiving towards one another. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this church. And God, thank you for your word, and it encourages me, and it reminds me of the work of your spirit, God. I'm reminded, God, this morning how much I have been forgiven. How dare me not grant forgiveness to your children, God. We thank you for the work of Jesus in our hearts and lives. We thank you for the overflow of that work lived out in community. That's how you've designed it, God. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity. Help us to work hard. Let's help us to fight for genuine community lived out in tenderness, kindness, and forgiveness. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, this is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, first of all, we don't want you to feel any obligation to give. This service is our gift to you. We're absolutely thrilled that you're here. Uh, one thing that we would love to have from you as a guest on the side of that bulletin is your Connect card. If you would just fill that out, uh, we want to send you a thank you card for coming. That's all we want to do with that. Um, but this is an opportunity. It's one of the ways that Coastal we worship the Lord. And if you'd like to join us in that, you are certainly welcome to do that. Joey.